Hello, beautiful people. This is episode five of Bounce and Motivation. I am Iyamide. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to everyone, except those who claim to be age fluid so that they can molest little children. Yes, such sick people exist and their mansions in hellfire are with them. I said what I said. I hope you guys are having a good week so far. Tomorrow is July 31st, National Avocado Day. Why am I telling you this? I have no idea, but at least <laughs> now you know. On this episode, we'll be discussing the almost black governor who was found drunk in a hotel room with a drugged up male escort. Why are we talking about this? Because mental health is involved and you guys know I've been pushing mental health. So we're talking about that. A baseball player who refused to take a knee in support of the Black Lives Matter cause because... We'll be talking about that. He used God as his excuse. Let me just give you a hint. Then, trans age slash age fluid, because it really exists, sadly, and we need to talk about it. You guys need to be informed. Last but not the least, Canada and Nigeria are working to combat migrant smuggling, human trafficking, and irregular migration. If you're rolling your eyes, so am I. But we'll talk about that as well. I cannot believe this is already episode five of this podcast. If you know me personally, I probably have mentioned doing a podcast or you probably have told me to consider doing a podcast. And this was going on for years. I didn't start for many reasons. Probably the biggest one being that I procrastinate a lot. Also, I was not confident in having enough content. I kept saying, what if I start and I don't have content? What do I do? I am pleased to report to you that every week my problem is too much content. I have tried <laughs> and failed to shorten this podcast, but somehow or the other, it still ends up being, you know, like 40 minutes, 45 minutes, which I think is where we're at now. There's so many topics. There's so many things going on. Every week when I read the news or my usual, you know, gathering information, I see stuff that I really want to share with you guys. And unfortunately, I cannot because there is just not enough time. So my biggest fear in starting this podcast has not actually turned around to be my biggest problem. Can you guys just imagine that? Let me take this time or take this moment, whatever you want to call it, to advise you guys. I don't know if it's advice or motivate you. If there is something that you want to start, please go ahead and start it. You have nothing to lose. So many people have reached out to me to say they enjoy the podcast. They look forward to listening. They've shared it with other people. Congratulate me, give me a thumbs up, give me constructive criticism on things that I can change, what they enjoyed, what they would like to hear. And I kid you not, guys, it has been such a great feeling that every week people actually look forward to my podcast. They tune in, they listen, they actually enjoy it, they can relate. If there's something that's been on your mind that you've been wanting to do, of course, do your due diligence, do your risk assessment, but please start it. If it's a business, start it. One key to remember if you're trying to start a business, anything that is a solution will bring you money. So you're adding value, you will get money from it. Take, for example, I'm in the United States. My parents live in Nigeria. Say I wanted to send them money. And every time I would have to look for someone who was actually going to Nigeria to give them physical cash to take to Nigeria, my parents would have to go somewhere, change the money, all of that. Obviously, that's not sustainable. Look, look at now, we're in a pandemic. Nobody's going anywhere. Nobody's coming. Nobody's going out of the country. What would have happened if my parents needed money and I couldn't send them money? That would make me think, oh my goodness, I wish there was some kind of digital way or app or service that I could use to send money to my parents and it would be instant. They would get the money. The rates would be good. That could give me an idea like, hmm, why don't I start something like that? I might not be techie. I might not know how to write the code and do all these kind of things. I can get other people involved. Point being, that would be an awesome solution to my problem, number one. Number two, if I'm having that problem, then certainly there are lots of other people who are having the same problem. So I am solving the situation for myself and for everybody at large. It's not even going to be a free service. People are going to pay for it. It's something people will always need to use. People always need to send money for different things. Birthdays, they're getting married. They're trying to build a house. Whatever is happening, you're trying to support your parents, donate to something, buy something. People always need to send money across the continents. That would have been example, an example of a perfectly great business idea. 
How did I come up with that idea? I had a problem. I thought of a solution. I implemented my solution. That becomes my business and I make money from it. Of course, there already exist so many different apps that you can use to send money. I just use that as an example. So if there's anything that is a problem, you find to be a problem, your friends and family have found to be a problem, maybe complained about, talked about, why don't you think about how you can solve that problem? That becomes a business idea and you can make money from it. Don't be afraid of, you know, the doubts or the concern of what if I don't have people who support my business. Trust me, people will support your business if you really are providing a solution. People will pay money for that service. It doesn't always have to be people that you know. A lot of times the support comes from people that you don't even know. So don't restrict yourself. Try out different things. If you're on my WhatsApp and I think on my Snapchat, I posted maybe two weeks ago, somebody, a well-known brand, used um, clothes hangers, not hangers, clothes pegs, that's what they're called. When you hang your clothes outside, the pegs you use to hold them down so the wind doesn't blow them away when they're dry. Colored them green and we're selling them as earrings for $427. I screamed when I saw it because I'm like, what is this madness? 2020 has been awkward. It has been weird. I didn't know it had become that weird. But guess what? It was on their website. And I kid you not, people were buying it. These are clothes pegs that if you go to the dollar store, they sell them for like six for one dollar. They are already colored, I believe. If you don't like the colors, I'm pretty sure you can buy spray paints for, I don't know, let's assume five dollars and spray paint your own clothes pegs. Why would you even want to put clothes pegs on your ears? Honestly, I don't know, but I guess it's fashion. Whatever the case may be, it's a brand that already has a following, has a big name, and they were able to pull that off. People will buy anything. I say this all the time. To you, it might look like crap. To me, it certainly look like crap, but they are making their money. So if you have a name, people will buy anything. If you don't have a name, you cannot just come up with any random idea. Sorry to bust your bubble. If you, as a random person, goes and gets clothes pegs, colors them, put them on your ear, take pictures and send it to me or post it on social media saying, hey, what's up? I'm selling these, I don't know, earrings, if you can call them that, for $25. I will stone you with a peg. That's just the truth. You can't get away with that. So the best way to go about it is come up with a solution to a problem and let that guide you. I've rambled enough. Let's get right into it. So I talked about the governor that almost was. That is Andrew Gillum of Florida. In 2018, he was a Democratic candidate to be the governor of Florida. And unfortunately, he lost. And what's so painful about his loss is he lost by half a percentage point, guys, half a percentage point. When someone says so close yet so far, that's exactly what they mean. Half a percentage point, And fortunately, he was not the governor. First black person that would have been the governor of the state of Florida. And of course, doing big things or such a big name. The race was so close. They were recounting. And eventually, he did not become the governor. And he unfortunately tumbled. And in March of this year, he was found in a hotel room in Miami with a male escort who was overdosing on crystal meth. Guys, someone called the police and when they got there, they found this man naked, drunk, couldn't answer questions, wasn't coherent. It was horrible. It was in the news. Everybody was talking about it. His naysayers were bashing him. Obviously, he has a wife and three kids. It was just a mess all around. He ended up having to come out to say he was leaving, you know, public life. He went into rehab and started therapy for depression. Last week, he came out with an 11-minute video on Instagram, kind of talking about his experience and just apologizing, I guess, to the world, thanking his wife for standing by him and giving us a little bit of an insight into what caused that fall from grace. The thing that pains me the most, hurts me the most, whichever grammar or word you want to use, is that this man was such a promising black candidate, right? We've had Barack Obama. Everybody knows who Barack is. So promising, speaks so well, has a lot to offer, very well educated, carries people along, knows how to act. So since he left office, I don't know about you guys, but I've always, or I've been on the lookout for other people, not like there's one person that can replace him, but other people that can rise up to that standard, young black leaders 
that can actually hold their own, that can actually rise and start actually doing things and making a name for themselves, making history. And Andrew Gillum was one of those people. Second person was Stacey Abrams. She also competed to be the governor, but in Georgia, hers was also a super, super, super close race. I don't know the exact number, so I don't want to give you a false whatever, but it was really, really close. And unfortunately, she lost as well. So while their losses were painful, and it was like, oh my God, should I have been the first female governor, first black governor of, I don't know about that black part, but should I have been the first female governor of Georgia? I'm almost sure black, but once again, I don't want to give you guys wrong information, so let, don't quote me on that. So it was painful, but just seeing that we had two young black people who were up to the task and were about to make history was really encouraging because yes, they didn't win that year, but guess what? In four years, they can run again. There are now names that are known on the national level. They could start getting other portfolios and there is hope for America. There is hope for black people, all those good feels. So seeing Andrew Gillum fall from grace, to be honest, was super painful because there are not that many eloquent, you know, black men in politics. I don't know how else to put it, not to berate black men or anything like that. But let me just give you a little bit of a history on Andrew Gillum. He is 41. So at the time, he would have been 39. So imagine becoming a governor before 40. That in itself was a big, you know, achievement. And he was the mayor of Tallahassee in Florida from 2014 to 2018. Before that, he was a Tallahassee City Commissioner from 2003 until 2014. Let's not forget that. In 2018, when his elections were going on, he was 39. So that means that this guy became a commissioner at the age of 23. I am well over 23. I'm not a commissioner. I've never been a commissioner. Nobody I know personally has been a commissioner at 23. So that was such a huge feat. And that was obviously an indication that this man was going to be going places, big things popping. Unfortunately, he did not win. And a lot of times when somebody doesn't win, we don't really think about what happens to them. Right, usually just oh that sucks he didn't win, and then the focus is on who, who the person that actually won, and then they get into office and we start watching them. Right, so if you voted for them, you're expectant because you're hoping they will fulfill their promises. If you didn't vote for them, you're most likely hitting on them, waiting for them to mess up so you can be like, you see what I said? I knew it. What rubbish, you know? And just keep bashing them. But we don't really think about the person who ran, got close, or was this you know second whatever first runner up. And did not win. So I hadn't really heard much about Andrew Gillum before this. The next time I heard about him was in 2020. Not saying maybe he didn't do anything. I'm just talking about myself. It was in 2020 and he was talking about planning to help millions of you know, black people register to vote. That's one of the biggest issues we have. Black people don't come out to vote. And I think that's probably maybe something he figured out from research or from the poll results that a lot of black people just did not come out to vote. And if they had, he would have won. So, of course, great initiative. We need that in general. Elections are coming up, you know, this November. We want everybody to vote, exercise their rights, get the right person into office. So that was kind of the last thing I heard about him. And then this whole drama in March. And at first, when I saw it, I was like, what in the world? Like, <laughs> what is this trash? What is this nonsense? Why is he misbehaving? That's what came to my mind. So I tried to read up as much as I could. And some people, of course, haters saying all kinds of stuff, you know, good thing he didn't get the, the governorship. This is what he would have been doing in office. His true self finally got revealed. Some people who went to school with him came out and were saying he likes men. He's always tried to date men. Even when we're in college, people knew that about him. It was like an unspoken, what's the word? I won't say it's a rumor, but it's kind of like a fact that everybody knew, but nobody talked about it. You know, all kinds of things were flying, all kinds of things were flying. And Literally, the guy just said, you know, it's really not what it, you think it is. Anyway, I'm bowing out from public life. I'm going into rehab. And to be honest, I was so pained because I'm like, wow, we have lost a good one. This is one of the things that, unfortunately, in America, being a black man, you can never come back from it. That's just the truth. If it was a white person that did it, you would have come out, done a press conference. The wife would have stood next to them, held their hands, smiled to the world. I don't know, mentioned Jesus something or the other, and somehow people will forget and keep pushing. For a black person, it's not possible. Even if when you were two, you picked up candy, maybe your mom was in the store, you, put, you stretched your hand, took candy, put it in your pocket, they will never forget it. They will keep reminding you. 
we talked about it. The standards are different. People expect differently from you. So that was how we lost him. Anyway, he comes back last week, has this whole video, and he says he had a lot of mental health issues, depression being the key one. And when you actually sit down and break it down, you can see how it makes total sense. This is somebody that was on the campaign trail. So usually people who run for you know, um, an office, it's not like the day before, the week before, the month before. A lot of times, at least two years in the United States, in a developed country, at least two years, they've been talking, they've been campaigning, they've been getting themselves out there, doing rallies, getting to know the locals, getting on TV, participating in debates, you know. So as the time now starts getting slower, first of all, they have primaries. So you have to win the primary for your own party. So he was a Democrat. I don't know if I've mentioned that. You win the primaries for your own party. And then you keep going, keep going, keep going. You start, you know, facing the opponents. You're having debates. Everybody's going back and forth. They bring out every dirt they know about you in public. You bring out every dirt you know about them. Everybody's fighting dirty. And it's really a fight to the death. So, so much time is put in. So much money. These people are on the road. They're traveling from state to state, city to city. They're not with their family. It's a lot mentally, emotionally, financially, physically, whatever you want to call it. It is a lot. And for someone who was doing so well and there was so much promise, there's so much hype, people have so much faith in you, you are about to make history, you're just in a really, really good place, you are at a high. Then you lose, and I feel like if you lose by a lot, it doesn't really feel that bad because you're like, okay, I lost. But when, you, when you're so close, I don't know how to put it, when you are so close, it's like, Maybe you can relate by thinking of maybe a job interview you had, a position you really wanted, you thought you were a perfect fit for the job, you've interviewed past the first stage, second stage, you know, some of them want you to cross seven seas, climb seven mountains, walk on fire, you've done everything and it's like you're at the last and final interview, you think it went well, Timmy Turner was talking about his fishing trip, you were talking about a fishing trip, you went with some people, you guys really bonded, you already seen yourself in that office, in fact, You've already mapped out where you'll be going for lunch when you work there. You already thought about, you know, the drive from your house, commute from your house to the office. You're already working there. Like at this point, it's just for them to make it official, print the business card, give you email. You are working there. They tell you how great your interview went. You know, they almost promise you that, hey, you've gotten this thing. Don't worry. Don't stress yourself. You're happy. You go home. You're celebrating. You're telling people. You're relaxing. And then. Maybe say this interview was on Friday. You have a good weekend. Monday morning, you wake up, you see a notification from them. You're like, oh, it's official. You probably already typed up your quit letter or resignation letter for your current job. Maybe insulted your manager in there. And you now see, we're well, sorry to inform you, we decided to go with another candidate. Are you mad? Like, what are you talking about? Can you imagine how you feel? The disappointment you felt, the anger, the frustration, the confusion. Because first you're like, wait, everything went so well. Oh. What went wrong? What happened? Who was the hater? Who voted against me? Are people from my village chasing me? What is happening? Why? God, why? God, why? God, why? So imagine that now on the scale of being a governor. First black governor, I believe also would have been the youngest governor. Like so much was riding on it and he didn't win. And literally the next day he was like, well, he didn't win. That sucks. Everybody moved on. I know I did. I wasn't checking for him every day. I wasn't like, oh, I hope Andrew Gillum is okay. I hope he has friends and family watching over him. I hope he's seen a therapist. None of the above. It literally was, oh, he didn't win. That sucks. Such a great guy. We'll see him in four years. But he did not have the opportunity or the chance to do that. He couldn't forget. That was his life, right? You've done all that. Now, remember this. The way it works here is that when you're running for an office, so he was already a mayor. He couldn't compete in the next mayoral election, right? Because obviously he was competing to be a governor and he thought he was going to be the governor. A lot of times you actually even have to leave whatever your position is, right? So you can fully focus on being on the campaign trail and all these other things that you're doing. So there's no backup. It's not like, a, oh, I was a mayor or I was, you know, a senator and then I ran for this office and I didn't win and then I just continue as if nothing happened. No, you've lost that position. Somebody else has filled it. Somebody else has run for it. Somebody else has won. So you are no longer that, you know, let's say mayor, you're obviously not the governor. You're just hanging in the middle. Obviously, these are not people who work regular, you know, I work in this company or that office. Literally, you became jobless. That's really what happens. Then, even the mental aspect, the high that you were coming off of, what happens? 
the disappointment, the anger, how do you take it out? What happens to your family? You haven't been with them that much because you've been traveling a lot. You've been going around. You've been campaigning. There's kind of a little bit of a disconnect. You're used to so many people around you, assistants, campaign managers. They bring you news every morning. You have maybe TV interviews scheduled. Literally all the activity, everything ceases. Mute, nothing. It's just you, yourself, and your God. So that is enough to really mess with anybody's mind, right? If you're not getting the support that you need, that can mess with your mind. The disappointment can mess with your mind. Just that change, that drastic change, literally overnight can mess with your mind. And this is something, right, that I always thought about. Obviously, when two people are going head to head like that, and both of them, I'm sure even though they don't have a chance, they still prepare some kind of acceptance speech, some kind of celebratory party. Um, I remember when it was Barack Obama um, who was going to run and Mitt Romney was, you know, opposing him. Mitt Romney thought he had a good chance. He thought he was going to win. He was in his home state of Massachusetts. He was at the Boston Harbor. They had fireworks ready to go off. Like there was a full celebration planned. He didn't win. Barack Obama won again. And I remember when I saw the news, it was like they had to take down all the stuff, all the banners, cancel all the fireworks, you know. And I remember thinking, wow, that must be disappointing. Not like I wanted him to win, but I'm sure it was disappointing for him and his family. And of course, they come out, they make this concession speech and try to do the whole unity. Let's hope whoever has come in, you know, will do the best. See you guys again in four years and so on and so forth. But there's already a part of you that is seeing yourself in that position. You're ready to, you know, take on the role. And literally everything is just stripped away and you're left with yourself and yourself and your God. So it was a lot for him. And with most people, when you can't handle, you know, it's kind of like a breakup. I guess this was worse than a breakup. Can't handle it. And you fall into some kind of addiction. For some people, it's alcohol. For other people, it's drugs and, you know, whatever else your proclivities might be. So for him, it was alcohol. He started drinking. He went into depression. But he did not get any help. People around him maybe didn't notice. Maybe they noticed and tried to advise him. He was interested in listening. Everything started spiraling. So remember, he's not working. There's this disconnect with his family. He's not in this political position. He's not sure what his next step is. There's disappointment. There's anger. There's some kind of guilt or shame. You're thinking, what could I have done differently as far as guilt goes? The shame, you're thinking more of, this is so embarrassing. How couldn't I pull this off? I was so sure I was going to win. There's also anger. In Michelle Obama's um, Becoming tour that she did a documentary, she said, when they were driving out of the White House, there was so much, I don't know if she used the word anger, I don't want to misquote her, but her point being, black people didn't vote. And for them, it was like, after everything we went through, all these eight years, all the criticism, all the hate, you know, everything that we did, the least black people could do was to vote. And they didn't. And that's why, you know, whoever is taking over after Obama is taking over and it's disappointing and all of that. So I'm sure for Andrew Gillum, there was also that, these black people that I'm trying to even help and do something for did not vote. You know, that anger, that frustration, just a myriad of emotions, you know. And anyway, he fell into that depression. He didn't get help. He was living his life still trying to act as if everything was okay. I'm pretty sure his marriage was suffering. His relationship with his children was suffering. So on and so forth. His mental health was deteriorating. Mind you, this election happened November 2018. November 2018, all of 2019, he was okay, or we didn't hear anything about him. He was obviously struggling. Fast forward to March 2020, this whole thing happens. He has to go into rehab. Finally admits, okay, you know what? Yes, there is a problem. Yes, I need to get help. I have to also admit that my public life is over. So his public life was over. His campaign to start helping register millions of black voters so that what happened to him won't happen to somebody else is also over. So his promise, who he would have been, what he would have done, gone. His potential, the impact he would have made, the value he would have added, totally gone. Such a huge loss to the Democratic Party, to the Black community. And once again, goes back to this mental health, everything we keep talking about. In the Black community, it is not something that is praised or accepted. It's something that people judge you for, they look down on you for. People are made to feel like they're weak or they're being overdramatic when they say they have an issue. We talked about Kanye West last week. When you are in the public eye, it's even worse because you just have to have this persona everybody's expecting to see. And unfortunately, when you fall, 
you fall in the public eye as well. You don't have a private life. Nothing is off limits. So this is why I keep saying it is so, so, so important to start from now. Get into the habit of checking yourself, knowing what your baseline is. Do your litmus test. Know when you're doing good. Know when you're doing bad. Get help. There is absolutely nothing wrong in seeking therapy. Nothing wrong at all. Get help. Speak to a therapist. Let your family know what's going on. If there's medication that you can take and you've weighed the side effects and they're not horrible, go ahead and try those. But don't just keep trying to pretend that everything is okay and that you are strong because when you fall, you will fall hard. And sometimes, unfortunately, like Humpty Dumpty, you cannot be put back together again. In case you didn't know, Humpty Dumpty was an egg and that's why you're going to be put back together again. Also, I'm digressing, but why was Humpty Dumpty even a cartoon? Why is that for kids? Why do you want to see a kid watching an egg drop, never be put together again? I don't know. It's weird. Anyway, sorry, I digressed. I've thought about that for a long time and I just remembered now. But anyway, mental health. So please, 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 it is very important to keep checking yourself. Check those around you. People that you think are strong, a lot of times those are actually people that are struggling the most. And because they are used to being the strong friend or the strong parent or the strong sibling, they don't reach out for help. Make sure they are okay. Check on them. Even you as a person, don't take on more than you can handle. There's really no way. You really cannot give what you don't have. If I come to you, you have only $20 and I'm like, oh my God, please, I need $1,000. You don't have it. You only have $20. You can only give $20. So please don't take on a thousand tons of somebody else's problems when you only have the capacity for 20. Keep some space for yourself. Hold your peace. Make sure you're doing okay. Make sure you're in a good place. Ask for help. Just love yourself because nobody else can love yourself the way you do. Put yourself as a priority. No, it's not selfish. It is common sense. It is necessary. Put yourself first. And I really hope and pray that we all do well. We all thrive. We don't miss out on the big things in life because we let something very controllable eat into us or eat away or we're so worried by what will people say? What will people say? What will people say? Andrew Gillum wasn't getting help. Now, last, last in English, that means finally everything came crashing and the world still saw it, still talked, still dragged him. And it was just unfortunate. I don't know if there's, I, I hope and pray there's a way he can come back. But for now, the answer is no. So baseball player. Mr. Sam Conrud. See the name Conrud. That's actually why that guy is rude. Conrud. I hope I'm pronouncing it well. Even if I'm not, I'll stick with that. Conrud. So he is a pitcher, relief pitcher for the San Francisco um, Giants. Let me tell you something that annoyed me. When I saw relief. So you're not even the main pitcher. You're just the relief. And still yet, you are so proud. You are so pompous. You are so racist. Anyway, Uncle Sam, Brother Sam, Mr. Sam. There was a game, Giants versus the Dodgers. And obviously everybody knows, you know, Black Lives Matter, everything that has been going on. In their way of kind of honoring or showing solidarity, they were going to take a knee and they were holding black cloths to show, you know, we're in solidarity with our black brothers and, you know, sisters out there. And we don't, we don't condone the racism and inequality and everything else that is going on. This is our way of showing support. Great initiative. Great idea, right? Okay. Now, let me give you a little bit of history. When they start any game, you know, which is in any country, any sports game, they play the national anthem. And Americans are very patriotic, which is one of the things that I love or respect about them. They love their country. They love everything that has to do with their country. The sacrifices that were made to become the free land that it is, et cetera, et cetera. So when they play the national anthem, they take it serious. Like you are standing, your hand is on your chest, you know, you're singing. Some of them are crying. It's a big deal. Colin Kaepernick, a few years ago, I believe 2017, don't quote me, but I think it was 2017 was like, you know what? That's BS. You guys don't really care. This is not really the land of the free. Some of us black people are pretty much still being treated like slaves. Inequality, racial injustice. I will not be standing for this, you know, national anthem. I will kneel down and that's my way of protesting. So he knelt down, got in trouble, eventually pretty much got kicked out of the NFL. Did I say NFL before? I'm not sure. But anyway, he was a football player. Got kicked out of NFL and as good as he was, he was really good. No other team would sign him. Till date, no other team has signed him. Anyway, he started getting really big as far as racial injustice, being a face, being a voice. I mean, he was like, I've lost my career, whatever. I'm still going to keep speaking and talking. And then the NFL was really like, we don't care. We're not, uh, what do you call it? 
we are not going to support this. We're not going to condone this. The owners of the, the teams were like, anybody who does this, you're getting kicked out. I'm sorry, we're not just doing this. You know, president was talking about it. Everybody was literally talking about it. Like, this is so disrespectful. This is so disrespectful. These black people. Anyway, fast forward to the whole Black Lives Matter movement that has been going on this year and, you know, everything coming to light and George Floyd dying and people being angry and all the protests and riots. Everybody now finally started saying, you know what? Colin Kaepernick knew what he was talking about. We should be taking a knee. This is something that needs to be addressed. So, so many other sports stars, black, white, Puerto Rican, Chinese, wine tang tang, do your tang tang, the words of Missy Elliott. Everybody was like, we have to do something. Those who weren't doing anything were getting so much backlash. They, everybody was talking. It was like a hot topic. Like, if you're not doing this, are you, who are you? Why are you not doing it? Your fans are angry. Clients are angry. Customers are angry. So every business, every sports franchise, people are coming out with statements. We support black lives. We support, you know, our fellow teammates. Everyone was taking a knee. Everyone was taking a knee. Everyone was taking a knee. So this, obviously, the sports season was put on hold because of COVID. Now they are going back and... This is their way of showing, okay, this matter is still very prevalent. We're still talking about it. Everybody's taking a knee. Sam Macrood, Abicon Rood, whatever his name is, decides that he's not going to take a knee. He was the only person, mind you. Everybody else, even the, the, sport, the managers of the team, everybody's taking a knee. Which, no problem, you have a right. If you don't want to take a knee, we can't force you to take a knee. Okay, Ogasam, what is your reason? You're not doing something, what's your reason? And this guy said, because he's a Christian, he doesn't believe that he should be kneeling for anything or anybody. Okay? I'm a Christian. I don't claim to know the Bible from front to back, back to front. But I have never heard or seen where God said, don't kneel down for a cause that you support. Okay? If that's even all he said, mm, it doesn't really make sense, but we might still take it. He goes ahead to say that he disagrees with some of the elements of the Black Lives Movement. and. Or should I say because Black Lives Movement or Black Lives Matter movement have said some negative things about a nuclear family and he just can't get on board with that. I've read a lot about this Black Lives Matter movement. I don't remember them saying anything about the family. I don't recall them saying anything about the family. I don't even see what the family has to do with anything. They're talking about their lives. They're talking about their rights. They're talking about racial injustice and inequality. And yes, of course, which I've mentioned before, People are rioting, people are looting, people are using the opportunity to misbehave, youthful exuberance, pent up, you know, frustration from being locked up at home or in lockdown. Yes, understood. Let's keep that to the side and focus on the main issue. What about that is talking about the nuclear family in a negative way that Mr. Rood or Oga Rood decided that he wasn't going to support it? It doesn't make sense. I mean, it's so absurd, right? What it means, because he, he likened it to the Marxism movement, and I can't really get into that because long story, but if you know what Marxism movement is, or you can look it up. So pretty much you're trying to make it now a political thing, right? I'm not kneeling or taking a knee. I don't have any problem with these people, but I don't support this movement, or I don't support some parts of this movement. Okay, people who support guns, you should have your own guns, freedom, do whatever you want to your guns. There are school shootings. Unfortunately, no school shootings because of COVID. If not, every single month there have been school shootings for God knows how many years in America. No school shootings because of COVID. But after every shooting, people come out and say, you know what? We're tired of this. There needs to be gun control. People don't need to have guns. The people who support guns, who are almost a million percent sure, Sam Rood, Con Rood, whatever his name is, is part of those people, come out and start saying, nope, it's only the bad people that do wrong things with the guns. Some of us are responsible gun owners. We have our guns. We use them for the right thing. We should have a right to bear arms. Nobody should take our rights away from us, and so on and so forth. So using that same logic, you guys understand that there always will be some bad apples, some bad eggs, whatever you want to call it. Doesn't mean you now throw away what they say. You can't throw away the baby with the bathwater. You can't throw the whole thing away. So you can't tell me, well, they said some negative things about the family, which only God knows what they are because I don't know what they are. So I'm not, I'm sorry, I can't show support. And also, let me just use God to cover it. God now, I'm a Christian, so I can't. I want to bet you that this guy will get engaged and put his dirty knee on the floor to propose to someone who is not God. Then your Christianity will not stop you. The real reason that this guy doesn't want to take a knee is because he doesn't care. That's just the bottom line. He doesn't care about whatever black people have going on, whatever your movement is. The racial injustice that you're suffering does not affect him in any way. And 
I don't even want to go as far as saying he might even think that's your business. You deserve it. You are not. You are nothing better than a slave. You are descendants of a slave. We will never be equal. What are you fighting for? Be happy where you are. Be happy with what you have. Stop making noise. Stop causing chaos. You're making it uncomfortable for the rest of us. That is unfortunate. It is super, super unfortunate because you're claiming to be a Christian. And the Jesus that I know in the Bible that I read in so many different translations, King James Version, New International Version, whatever else you want to call it, was not like that. If Jesus was alive now, I promise you guys, Jesus would be front and center of Black Lives Matter movement fighting against racial inequality and injustice. It's not blasphemy. How do I know this? Look at the Bible, right? So there's a popular story of five loaves and two fish, right? So five loaves and two fish. And obviously most people know the story. Anyway, for some reason you don't know the story or for the purpose of whatever point I'm trying to make, I'll just give you a run through. So Jesus had just heard that his cousin, John the Baptist, had been killed. He didn't die of natural causes. He was actually killed. And of course, he was not feeling good. He was not feeling great. That was the person who baptized him. He now withdrew himself. You know, you're sad, you're in mourning. And crowds started following because obviously at that point, he had gained momentum. People were hearing about him. They knew miracles that he was doing. And the crowd followed him. And Jesus, you know, being Jesus, put his own grief or whatever aside, came out, spoke to them, ministered to them, had compassion, was healing sick people, doing his normal, you know, father's work. The disciples came and said, Jesus, this place is remote, right? It's getting late. Send these people away so that they can go into the towns, you know, buy food. They need to eat. It's about, you know, dinner time. It's time to eat. Jesus was like, nope, we need to feed them. And the disciples were like, pardon? Come again, sir? How comes? How manage? Where are we going to get enough food? If you read the Bible, you know that these people were always struggling for food, like disciples and Jesus, because they didn't live an extravagant life. So a lot of times they're barely feeding themselves or people will invite them into their homes to eat, you know, and so on and so forth. So Jesus saying, you know what? No, I'm not sending them away. Let's feed them. Must have been like, <laughs> okay, now let's see how. We don't have money. We don't have food. Mind you, this is what? Over 5,000 people. Anyway. Disciples now go and ask, does anybody have food? And one little boy says, I have lunch or whatever dinner that I brought. I have five loaves. I have two fish. That would have been a joke because if that lunch, he brought it for himself, how do you not expect to use it to feed over 5,000 people? Anyway, Jesus prayed, gave thanks, and he started sharing it. Shared, shared, shared. Everybody ate. When they finished eating, there were 12 baskets left over. That's how much food was, you know, remaining after the miracle. So that same Jesus, that knew that, okay, these people, you know, they're hungry for the word of God. Obviously, they're probably poor people, sick people, people that have issues or problems. They're looking for solutions to their life. Came to look for him where he was in a remote place. Probably trekked God knows how long in the desert. In those, their sandals are basically past. Only God knows whether stones were poking their leg. Just a lot of discomfort. He did not want to send them away because he just felt for them. He has already healed them. He has done the one he can do. He has already, you know, preached to them. But he just felt the need to give them food, like do something extra for them. Just be that person for them that they needed, provide for them. Do you now believe that that same Jesus will be here and be alive and watching all these injustice going on and all the things that are being done to black people? And he will just fold his hands and say, well, I have long hair. I don't have curly hair. I don't have nappy hair. It's not my business. That will not be him at all. So for Sam Conrad or Conrude, whatever his name is, to use that I'm a Christian as an excuse, eh, I don't buy it. Jesus that washed somebody's feet, even I will not wash. <laughs> not to be proud, but uh, it would take a lot for me to wash a random person's feet. So why would you not assume that when Jesus is here, he won't care, he won't do those things, he won't show that compassion? Like, you being a Christian should actually make you very angry about all the racial injustice and inequality that is going on. That should not be an excuse or that should not be what you hide, be, hide behind as to why you cannot support Black Lives Matter movement or whatever. Like, the excuse is so absurd, it doesn't even, it's ridiculous. But anyway, that was that about him. My own advice with all these things is <clears throat> be aware. There are people that you work with, people that you hang out with, people that you're in church with, they don't send you. They don't care about you. What affects you does not affect them. They care it not. They don't have to face any of the things that you face or you live or you're going through as a black person. They don't even want to identify. They don't want to be an ally. Don't stress them. That's really what it is like. 
that corner where you are, just stay there because this noise that you're making, this rumbling that is happening is about to turn or twist the balance of things as we know it. And we don't want that. So don't be that person that says, oh, no, I know this person. We were cool. You know, when we're in college, we always eat lunch together or at work. We sit. Nothing wrong with, you know, I have no issue with any race or anything like that. But there are specific people who claim to be your friend, use you as their token. When people tell them, they're like, I'm not racist. I have a black friend. You are that black friend that isn't supposed outside. But really, actually, when you look at it, they don't care. They're not interested. They're not bothered. I'm sorry, but that's not a friend. So just be aware of who these people are. Be cautious in your relations or relationship or whatever with them. Open your eye, as Nigerian people will say, which is really just be aware. Open your eye. Don't be carrying a type of friendship on your head that is not leading you to anywhere but destruction. There are so many stories you hear of people who thought, this person was my friend. And when push came to shove, they will just turn the other way. Police can stop two of you in a car and they will be like, well, sorry, you know, yami day. I mean, I don't know. Just, just go with them. Just go with them. You know, I'll call the cops or I'll call your husband or I'll call your mom. That's it. They don't, they won't follow you. They won't support you. In fact, they can even block your phone number so you don't call them for bail. So it's unfortunate, but unfortunately, ah, you see what I did there? That is not the worst of the stories that we have for today. Unemployment rates is going up in the U.S. All over the world, people are losing their jobs, means of livelihood, they're stuck at home, lockdown, businesses are crashing, everybody's worried. Meanwhile, some of you in the kingdom of Lucifer, well, hopefully nobody listening is part of them, but so let's say some of them in the kingdom of Lucifer are going from commission agents, people that Satan is paying on commission, to full-time staff with benefits, as in you work for him full-time, he's paying your medical insurance and providing you vacation time and other rubbish. This trans age, I'll be age fluid of 18. Honestly, I'm upset and I don't even know what else to say or do. I know a lot of people don't want to believe it and they keep saying, oh, it can't be true. It's not real. It's... My people, it is very, very real. It's not they said. People are living it. People have been living it. Okay, if you don't know, trans age is someone pretty much saying, technically on paper, um, you know, 52 years old, but I feel like I'm six and I want to live as a six-year-old. So treat me like a six-year-old, look at me like a six-year-old. Some of them are going as far as even saying, I want to have relationships with fellow, you know, six, seven, eight-year-olds like myself. That's just so, I'm trying to use podcast-friendly, you know, words, but BS, crap, rubbish madness, insanity. It just, I mean, why? Okay, let's, let me even try to take you seriously for a bit. Let me say you're not being, what's the word? You feel younger, right? So say, for example, my grandpa is going to be 91. He's 100% fine. He doesn't have any ailments, no disease, no nothing. He can still walk, goes to mass every morning, obviously before COVID still living his normal life. He can still travel by air, by road. He's fine. When people see him, they always swear he's not a day over 70, but he's about to be 91. So he looks at least 21 years younger than his age, which is a great thing, right? You feel young, you look young. I understand that. And that is the dream. That is the hope. That's the aspiration. I think that's, you know, maybe genetics or whatever. In my family, my mom is the same way. People see her and be like, what, you have this many kids? Oh, really? Is this your sister? My mom loves that when people think, She's my sister, or I'm like, we're not sisters. She's, she's clearly my mother. Stop misbehaving or giving this woman the opportunity to misbehave. But, you know, that's a great thing. That's a good thing. When I become, you know, that old or when I have my own children, I would want people to see me and think, you know, this person is younger because, you know, it's a compliment. You look youthful, you're strong. Maybe you're still working out. You can run, you know, 10K. You're, you know, it's a good thing. But in this case, that's not what these people are trying to do or say. They're actually saying, I'm a six-year-old, even though I'm 52 in real life. Treat me like a six-year-old. Relate with me as a six-year-old. Leave me to be in relationships with people who are around my age. That's a lie of the devil. Can never happen. We will never allow it to happen. Six-year-olds, seven-year-olds, 10-year-olds, whichever one these people want to be, because they usually want to be under 13 for obvious reasons. Don't go about having relationships. Right? When you're six, you're just a child. You have play dates. You have friends. You don't know anything. Your mind is just bare, right? You are innocent. There's that innocence of, you know, 10, 9. You're just playing. 
parents still believe in Santa Claus. Your parents still remind you to brush your teeth. They're not, you're not allowed near fire because you can't cook. You they watch what you watch on TV. You know, there's somebody guiding you. Somebody drives you to school, goes to the grocery store, doesn't let you play with knives, etc., etc. You have somebody protecting you, looking out for you, taking care of you. You're not thinking of sex. You're not thinking of a relationship. You are six, you're seven, you're 10. That's not your priority. So why would a full-grown imbecile, because that's what those people are, decide that they want to wind back the hands of time and live as a young person so they can have relationships and actually even have sexual relationships with these children? I mean, it doesn't, you're a pedophile. That's really just the bottom line. You are a pedophile. You're just trying to sugarcoat it and make yourself look better. I know some of you are saying, no, it's not possible. How can? There's no way. The world will never. Okay. There's a guy in Canada, a 52-year-old guy. Sorry, not a guy. Let's just say she. In the article, they said she. So a 52-year-old woman in Canada had a wife and seven children that he left because he said he identifies or she identifies as a six-year-old trans-age girl. So this is a 52-year-old woman, for all intents and purposes, has a wife, has seven children, decides, you know what, Mm, this is not working for me. I want to be, or I feel like I'm a six-year-old girl. So when they interviewed, I don't know now whether it's he, she. Let's say she, because that's what they said in the article. She said, I can't deny I was married. I can't deny that I have children, but I've moved forward now and I've gone back to being a child. Look, listen to this. I have moved forward now and I have gone back. How have you moved forward, Saoma, and you've gone back? Make it make sense. How have you moved forward? But you, same very person, you've also gone back. You can't do both. You are confused. If for nothing else, that statement alone that you made tells us that you are confused. Now, you might say, okay, this is just somebody trying to be silly. Maybe they have some mental issue or problem that has not been diagnosed. Let's not take them seriously. This woman, 52-year-old, that abandoned her wife and seven children, has actually been adopted by a new family. I'm not, you, I'm not even joking. I know I'm laughing, but it's one of those laughs of, I can't cry, so let me laugh. Has actually been adopted by a new family and is acting as a younger sister to their granddaughter. So these people have a granddaughter and this full-fledged, grown, 52-year-old is pretending to be a six-year-old and be this granddaughter's younger sister. Now, here's the kicker. This person in question is transgender. So they were born as a man, lived some of their life as a man, at some point said that they're not a man anymore, they're a woman. Now, not only are they gone from man to woman, they've now gone from woman to a six-year-old girl. I mean, (laughs) oh God. I don't know. Why would anybody adopt this person into their home? That's just a question. Why would you allow this person be exposed to your granddaughter? Are you not even afraid? Are you not even thinking of all the possibilities of all the things that could go wrong? How this person is probably molesting your granddaughter? Like, what, what is it? God has already given you children. God gave you grandchildren. That's not enough for you. You went and adopted a full-grown 52-year-old and expect that person to play the role of a granddaughter. Who is deceiving who? Like, a 52-year-old man, let's say you even dress very well as a woman, you are pretending to be six. So obviously you're not wearing makeup or doing any of that. Maybe you wear a wig, you wear what a dress. I mean, what's that? Honestly, I don't have children yet, but these are one of the things that just make me think sometimes. Like, what kind of world will my children grow up in? We didn't have this type of exposure to rubbish when I was growing up, and I'm sure same for most of you. There wasn't the internet. So not that people were not misbehaving, but you had to be in their very close circle to observe it. And your parents protected you from it, right? There's so many things they didn't tell you that were just like maybe family secrets or whispers. And when you grew up, you're like, wait, what? This was happening? Oh, my goodness. You didn't know. There was no internet. There were no cell phones. There were no social media. Everybody was just in their own kind of little bubble. You only knew people that you were in your immediate surrounding, maybe your family members or people you went to church with, people you went to school with, people that were in your mosque, your neighbors, you know, people just went to the same grocery store in your kind of immediate community. You were not exposed to, okay, maybe I'm a little girl in Nigeria, but obviously by the internet, I can be exposed to what this grown, I don't know, man or woman is doing all the way in Canada. We didn't have that. So... There's just so much madness and craziness going on in the world now. I don't know how parents do it. I, I mean, and it's only going to keep getting worse. What is the solution? What is the government doing? How are they making sure that people like this 
don't exist, that their agenda doesn't come to pass. It's worrying, it's troublesome, it's concerning. Only thing I can say is if you have children, please start talking to them. I know a lot of times we try to shield them and protect them. We don't want them to know that all these things are happening. If you don't tell them, they will hear it outside. They will find out in school. Imagine your child going to school or telling you, I'm going to my friend's house. They go to their friend's house. And this 52-year-old man-turned woman, turned six-year-old girl is the person that is their quote-unquote adopted younger sister, big grand sister or granddaughter sister, whatever the situation is. Do you understand? Like, you cannot, especially if you don't live maybe in Nigeria or in Africa, you're here in America or in England or Canada or whatever, Australia. <laughs> you need to have this conversation with your children. You need to be able to tell them, hey, you know, there's things like this, you know, slowly, slowly start introducing them to it. Otherwise, they will hear it or learn it outside and you'll be the worse off for it. It's unfortunate. They have, they're having to grow up way early, but it's better they hear it from you as their parents. Explain it to them in maybe smaller terms that they can understand. And as they get older, you know, start having those conversations so that that way they can come to you and say, hey, mom, hey, dad, this is what I'm seeing or this is what I'm hearing, what's going on. They don't keep it as a secret from you. They don't hide it. They don't, you know, think it's normal or okay and find themselves in a funny situation. And by the time you find out the damage has already been done, God forbid, you know, but be aware. Just know that these things are going on. Do your research. Find out how, where, when, and please protect your children, your nieces, your nephews, anybody else's child that you know or you're close to, let them know this is a thing. It's not brand new. It's been going on, but I think now it's just getting more and more traction. There was a post about it a few days ago that I posted on my WhatsApp status, and that's why I'm having this conversation. So it's happening. People are trying to make it a thing, make it cute, make it like, you know, you can't determine what your age is. You can be any age. Don't be a hater. Please, we're not, no, we're not doing that. So I know I said trans age slash age fluid, but they're not exactly the same thing, right? But the age fluid is pretty much a person whose age identity is not fixed and changes over time, depending on the situation. What does that even, I mean, oh no. Let me just tell you guys, the Navy SEALs, special ops people that killed Osama bin Laden, you know how they disposed of his body. They went to the middle of the ocean, wrapped it, wrapped it, tied it, threw it in the middle of the ocean. Literally, that's how. I need those people to now come. Gather all these trans age, age fluid group members, whatever they are. Lock them somewhere. Maybe just, I don't know, maybe an empty island that nobody's inhabiting. Build something. Lock them there. Seal the whole place. Break bulletproof glass. They cannot get out. Lock it with like a gazillion padlocks. Take the keys, right? Put it into a box made of like, you know, bulletproof um, material, put all the keys into that box, wrap that box, tie with chains, heavy chains, tie, 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 tie. Go to the middle of the ocean, maybe even close to Bermuda Triangle, wherever things disappear, and drop the box there. That way, nobody can ever get the box out because if you put all those chains, right, it's going to the bottom, 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 like the weight. Nobody can ever get that far down to get to the box. Talk less of removing the chains, not to talk of opening the box before you think of getting out the key before you just find a place where you can throw them then let all of them be the trans aging and gender be age fluid in and trans aging together so you are all there together deceiving yourselves oh i'm 54 but i feel like i'm two. Oh, i'm 78 but i feel like i'm fa-. no problem be friend yourselves do whatever you want to do to yourselves please leave innocent children out of it comprende okay thank you god bless you finally 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 Canada and Nigeria are working to combat migrant smuggling, human trafficking, and irregular migration. I had to laugh when I read this thing because one, shame. So ashamed. Nigerian government, problem. Nigerian people, problem. Okay, what's all this about? Nigeria is obviously, not obviously in case you don't know, but Nigeria is one of the countries that has a high rate of migrant smuggling and human trafficking. So people are taken to other countries, told that, um, okay, an irregular migration. Some people are forced against their will, hidden, you know, maybe in a car and whatever, taken and used for, to sell them, use them as um, sex slaves, other horrible things are done to them. Others are promised some kind of job. You go here, you be a hairdresser. Hairdressers make a lot of money in that country. You have foreign currency. You can send it back home to help your family. They will be taken when they get there. They take their passports, all their travel documents. They don't have access to a phone. They don't have any money. And they just make them start working under horrible conditions. A lot of times it's actually 
sex slaves. Most times it's women. Not like it doesn't happen to men, but most times it's women. They treat them as sex slaves, all of that. Then the regular migration is you get a visa. You say you're coming to, I don't know, America or you're going to Canada for vacation. You get there and you're like, nope, I'm not going back. Then maybe you try and file for asylum or something else. You try pretty much try to become a permanent fixture in that place. Excuse me for saying Sha, that's how this thing is doing me. <laughs> that's no proper English. But you pretty much try and become a permanent fixture in that place. That's what irregular migration is. And Nigerians have a high rate of doing that. So many countries the world over. Right there in Africa, a lot of people are trafficked to North Africa. They're held their slaves. The ones that, you know, from North Africa, they're put on a boat, make it across into Europe, Spain, Italy, all those other countries. Another ridiculously high number of people. And now they're even coming as far as Canada. So you wonder, Canada is so far. How is that possible? That's where the irregular migration thing comes into play. And if you're familiar with the whole border crisis between the United States and Mexico, that's a huge issue they have because a lot of people from Mexico come into the U.S. illegally. Either they have a coyote or somebody who helps them come across, find a way underground tunnels, go through the desert, swim through, whatever, come in, find their way in and just kind of assimilate into, into the society, mix, blend. Maybe they have family in some states. They go over there. They start working under the table, making money in cash and so on and so forth. A lot of times they're not people who are thinking, oh, let me leave my country and go to another country to cause harm, right? Let's just put that out there. Everybody in this category is usually somebody who is looking for a better life. So either you get deceived by somebody who is promising you a job that doesn't exist because you have a horrible situation at home, you want a better life, you want to make money, you want to help your family, or you've been told, you know what, Canada is great, you get a good job, it's such an amazing place to live, and you want to get there at all costs. Problem with that is you put yourself at risk when you don't do the right thing. When you don't have the right paperwork, you're not there legally, you don't have recourse to public help, right? You're not going to go to the police and say, hey, this is what's happening to me because you're going to get deported. So you put yourself in a position where you're vulnerable and that person knows you're vulnerable and they can take advantage of you, do whatever they want. It's never really a good thing. So anyway, Nigeria, for some reason, the country as itself or the government seems to have no shame. I think the shame is left for only the, the actual citizens or the everyday people met with the government of Canada and Switzerland yesterday, which was World Day Against Trafficking in Persons. And they met with some organizations, International Organization for Migration, United Nations Office on Drugs and Crime. And they met to discuss how they can help Nigeria combat, you know, having the citizens being trafficked or smuggled or migrating illegally. So International Organization of Migration has a system called Migration Information and Data Analysis System. So I think it's like when you're at the airport, going in and coming out. I don't know if they use fingerprints or facial recognition. Whatever the case, it keeps track of who is leaving, who is coming in. If somebody who already has a criminal history or is already known to be, you know, a smuggler or trafficker or a missing person, you can identify it, apprehend the person, or as well that ends well. So they are trying to help Nigeria and they put that in two of the international airports, one in Abuja, which is the capital of Nigeria, and one in Lagos. Let me stop here and say the amount of money that Nigeria has as a country, revenue from oil, money that politicians steal in the millions, in the billions of dollars is more than enough for us to actually establish such a thing on our own by ourselves. For whatever reason, it's not a priority. We don't care. We don't do it. Now we're getting help from international bodies or from people outside, whatever you want to call it. So... Canada is interesting that a lot of Nigerians are migrating irregularly. They want to see what they can do about it. That's why they're interested or invested in helping Nigeria. So all this is supposed to deter. They want to get some campaigns going that would deter people from, you know, these kind of illegal migrations or putting themselves in these kind of situations. So the Canadian government is investing $4 million over the next two years to help Nigeria with this fight or to combat this, whatever this thing that is going on. It's laughable because $4 million is nothing to the Nigerian government, let's be honest. Two, I'm so sure that there's somebody who is on the Nigerian side of things, in charge of whatever all these things that are going on, who is just going to use this money as a big payday and actually not get anything done. Those machineries are probably not going to be working, maybe stolen, will be faulty, maybe never even delivered. 
whatever the case may be, somebody's going to be making a lot of money from this and nothing is probably actually going to be done. Bottom line, Canada is fed up with Nigerians and their illegal migration. So what happens is that people get a visa either to Canada or to the United States. There's border cross places in New York because New York State borders Canada where people go cross. And there's one particular place that there's only two guards. So when people go to cross, obviously they have to technically arrest you and you say, oh, I'm here for, you know, I plead asylum or whatever, I claim asylum. They have to take you in. There's a center, they take you in, they'll process you, give you, you know, forms, you fill out. And of course the process takes a while. So you're there for a while, you're living the life, you're kind of getting, you know, assimilated while waiting for the result of, you know, whether your asylum claim will be granted or not. This takes away so much resources, money, time, the people who actually work in those offices. There are people who have genuine asylum claims that they should be focused on because it's life or death. They are in a war-torn country or they are the victim of, you know, let's say like trafficking or something crazy or serious. And that time and resource and money is being taken away from them to these Nigerian people that are irregularly migrating. And some of you might be saying, well, things are really bad. You don't know what situation that person left at home. They really really need to be in Canada or really want to be in Canada. There's so many, Canada is one of the countries that has such a great legal migration system. Unlike in the US, Canada, you can go to school. After school, there's paths for you to file for yourself. You can get a job while you're outside Canada, apply for your work permit, go to Canada. While you're there, there's paths to citizenship or getting your permanent residence. They even have an express entry system where you don't have to leave your country. You stay where you are. You fill all the information out online. You qualify, you get points. If you get picked, you get your permanent residence approved even before you ever step a foot in Canada. It really does not get any better than that. Why then would somebody think there's any need or any point in migrating irregularly or going to visit and just staying? If it's about the money, think about it. To get a visa, especially from a country like Nigeria that is high risk, you have so much to prove. You have to prove or show them you can come back, you're coming back. You have a certain amount of money in your account. You have ties to your country. If you can get all that documentation in order, how can't you get the money or the funds or whatever it is you need profile to get admitted into school and go do, I don't know, like a master's program that is a year? Yes, you can, right? You can apply for the excess entry. If you could gather all that money to show or do whatever you needed for your visa, buy your ticket, you probably take some money with you when you're going because you need some money to hold on to before you get any work or whatever. Then you can definitely apply for the express entry. You can definitely apply for a job. You can do things the right way. The problem a lot of times is that Nigerians or Africans, we like to feel like we have this, you know, I'm smarter than you or I can con you. You set the system up and I can bypass your system and still get what I want without doing it the right way. And once again, I'm not taking away the fact that people are suffering and there's a lot going on. But for a country that gives you the right straightforward way to do things, why don't you take that? Why are you jeopardizing? the whole system for everybody else. Because guess what now? They're going to be looking at Nigerians with some kind of eye. And what this really boils down to is that with time, which is already happening, visa refusals for Nigeria is going up. They'll be refusing people because at this point, they can't tell who is going to stay and who is going to come back. Your application can be convincing, but they really cannot take that chance. Before you know it, they'll move a step further and maybe start putting restrictions on, you know, who can come in as students. The next thing, when they're doing their... Uh, immigration or express entry, they'll put a cap on how many Nigerians can come in. There are so many times where you go on websites, I think maybe like Jamaica or something, I was looking at some time back, and Nigeria was a commonwealth, you know, it's a commonwealth nation because they were colonized by the British. And normally as a commonwealth, you can come into, you know, say like Jamaica without needing a visa or whatever, because, you know, commonwealth to commonwealth is a perk. And in bold, it's like, except Nigeria, and I think maybe India. It's always Nigeria. Why? Why, why, why? Because other people have gone before made a mess of things, made it just almost impossible and the system has to change because they are tired of Nigerian people and their mess. So here we are again now. Canada is giving us money to help them or help ourselves. <laughs> I don't know who is helping who curb this rubbish. I'm pretty sure or I hope nobody listening to this is in that category or thinking of doing that or if you know anybody who is doing it, Share the information, share the news, let them know it's not worth it. You're spoiling things for everybody else. The U.S. is already making it almost impossible for Nigerians to come in. You don't want Canada doing the same thing. This has been such a long podcast, I think, because I spent so much time talking about Andrew Gillum. But thank you for bearing with me. Thank you for listening. As always, there will be a post up on Instagram. Join the conversation. If you are not already following us on Instagram, why? 
what's your reason, what's your excuse, is free. Literally, just have to go, click follow. Please, please, please join the conversation. Become a part of the BAM fam on Instagram at Banter Motivation. B-A-N-T-S-A-N-D-M-O-T-I-V-A-T-I-O-N on Instagram. Please, please, and please share this podcast with at least three people that you know have not heard about it, have not listened to it. You know they will enjoy it. I know they will enjoy it. Why are you keeping the news to yourself? Please share so we can grow this community, grow this family. Be kind. Please, please, please be safe. Be aware. Lucifer is wilding out and you cannot be caught sleeping. Until I come your way next week. Bye. Oh,